welcome family, friends, and new friends to our podcast, They Actually Survive. I'm your host, Selena. And I'm your co-host, Andy. So today, we have an earthquake. I'm going to be talking about the Northridge earthquake and Andy. I've got a uh, terrible car accident. So we're going to dive right into it today. Mine starts out with the 1994 Northridge earthquake, mm. uh, which if you live in California, you remember this one was a really big one. Now, I'm sure you were probably too young. I was like two, I think, when this happened. <laughs> really? 94? I, I remember it very well. Oh, 94. <laughs> yeah. I, I was five then. Okay, okay. I, I don't remember this at all. Now, have you yourself, I don't remember any very large earthquakes after that. Have you been in a large earthquake? I... I remember some medium-sized ones. I, I don't know if I'd consider them large. I, I remember there was this one uh, within this last year that, like, lasted 40 seconds or something like it that. Long and it was one. just, like, a low <laughs> rumbling. It's just like, it's still going. I was playing a game with my friends. Like, we were on a boat in the game. And so I was like, oh, wait, what happens if, like, something bad happens and the roof collapses or I'm out of power or whatever? And, you know, I want them to know what happened. One of my friends is in California, and the other one's in, like, North Carolina. So I was like, earthquake! I'm going through an earthquake! I'm still going through the earthquake! You know, like, 20 seconds later, I'm still having the earthquake! 20 seconds later, I'm still in the earthquake! Now, I'll never... Right when you said that, I'll never forget. I was working at a promotional products company Mm -hmm. at the time, Mm -hmm. and I was maybe about eight or nine months pregnant. And I was on the phone with a customer at the time. I was like on the phone sitting there <laughs> and the earthquake started to hit and we're on the second floor. So yeah. it was substantial like Shaky. shaking. And I, I said, I screamed on the phone, earthquake. <laughs> and I threw the phone <laughs> and took a dive under the table. And I remember, I'll never forget because I, I remember <laughs> I had a coworker who was sitting, like we kind of shared a very large cubicle. Okay. So it was just us two within this cubicle. Yeah. And I remember she looked at me and she was so confused what to do <laughs> because she, she had not lived in California. So uh... she was from, uh, the South, kind of like South Carolina, something like that. So she had never experienced an earthquake, so she didn't know what to do. And here I am, I'm diving down underneath the desk, you know? Yeah. So so the earthquake's like going on. She doesn't get under the desk. She just sits there. (laughs) So uh, the earthquake goes on. It eventually stops. Now I'm covering my eyes because I do the exact same thing, too, because I'm like... do, because like I, you know, you, you're taught like what to do. Oh, get in the door frame, get in the bathtub or whatever, crawl under a desk, get outside, go to a clear. Like they give you a list of things that you should be doing. Yeah. And every time an earthquake happens that I'm in, I'm always just like, when do I do that? Is this is this an earthquake that I should do that? In? I know, or, you know like, I know, because there are some that are just so light. You're like, eh, uh, yeah. I'm not getting out of bed. Yeah, yeah, exactly. exactly. I mean, as a Californian, yeah. you get used to them, so you're like, I'm not going to get out of bed. But yeah. this was significant. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it. She should have done something. I don't know. <laughs> Follow the leader here, yeah. who's a Californian, and right. dive under the desk. <laughs> anyway, so I was sitting there under the desk. The earthquake finally you know, finishes and it's all quiet or whatever. Everybody's getting up and we're going to 
go outside. Everybody, mm-hmm. they yeah. have like a plan in place. Yeah. So we all evacuate the building and then they do a roll call just to yeah. check on us, you know. Yeah. And um, I'm eight or nine months pregnant. Mm-hmm. I, I can't get up. Yeah. <laughs> I'm oh, on yeah. all fours underneath the table. <laughs> Send someone after me. Help. I'm alive. So, yeah, so, so I had to have a coworker help me up off the ground because I was like, yeah. you know, I was like a little uh, butterball, like a little <laughs> waddler. So, yeah. <laughs> but it was very scary for me being pregnant and, you yeah. know, it was just, it makes you jitter and yeah, scared yeah. and stuff. So, okay. So going back to this. This, this is the was big one. <laughs> one of the big ones that you knew this was the one, without a doubt, you got to take cover. Right. And it was very scary. So uh, this was 1994 Northridge earthquake. And it was Monday morning at 4.31 a.m. when it hit. It was a magnitude of 6.7, rattled Southern California. So now I would say it's almost like a badge of honor. Yeah. Uh, that if you are you know, living in California that you've been through an earthquake. Yeah. And just like we shared, like, you know, you share earthquake stories yeah. and things like that. Yeah. So everybody shares them. There was such incredible widespread damage with this one, mm-hmm. just to give you an idea of how bad it was and the severity of it. The eastbound state route 14, it was near Silmar, had completely collapsed. Mm-hmm. So this mm-hmm. overpass mm-hmm. completely collapsed. Parts of the Santa Monica freeway had actually separated. Mm -hmm. So one block like moved. Um, A natural gas line broke and exploded. And part of the Anaheim Stadium actually collapsed too. So um, thousands of buildings were destroyed. Uh, There was a lot of buildings that were declared unsafe and later demolished. It was crazy, crazy. If you look at pictures, uh, if you go back and look at Northridge earthquake pictures, you see images of steel-reinforced concrete support beams that are actually supporting freeways, and they're buckling. So you can actually see pictures of that. And so the list of damage just goes on. It's all crazy. The earthquake was especially severe for Northridge Meadows apartment complex. It was located two miles from the epicenter. Mm. It was a larger complex. It was about 163 units in San Fernando Valley. Okay. And those apartments had, it had like the underground parking. Um, It was made up of one and two bedroom apartments. Okay. Full structure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So you think it's a full (laughs) structure. So you think. Okay. So now most of the residents themselves were made up of Uh, single professionals, college students. Uh, There was nearby California State University. Uh, So they said uh, the residents of the Northridge Meadows had said when the earthquake hit, it felt like somebody lifted up the building and then crashed it back down. Large segments of the upper floor of the apartment complex had collapsed and sandwiched on the lower levels. Whoa. So the whole yeah. first floor collapses onto the second floor or onto the first level, yeah, I yeah. should say. The earthquake hits, everything happens, it collapses, the building collapses. As the dust settles, many of the residents heard and remember hearing just cries for help yeah. everywhere. Yeah. Just people all over the place hearing, you know, yelling for help. So this takes me to two roommates. It's Stephen and Jerry. 
Now, Stephen was 45 years old. Uh, he was a 45-year-old computer operator. He woke up really early that Monday morning, and he was on his way to start his morning and fix his coffee when the earthquake hit. So, again, the upper floor collapsed directly onto the first floor apartment. Yeah. He was pinned into a crawl space about three feet high where he could only move his arms and legs. Yeah. His head and shoulders were crushed against his bed where he had just woken up from. Oh, man. In the next room, he called out to his roommate, Jerry, who was a shuttle bus driver. Yeah. Jerry let Stephen know immediately that they were good and uh, they're going to make it. Yeah. And he explained, because if God didn't want us to make it, he wouldn't, we wouldn't be alive right now. Yeah. So he would say, like, God would okay. just take us out. We would have just wanted. died immediately. Yeah. <laughs> so he's like, we're going to make it. Now, Stephen says... He re- Steven says he remembers saying to Jerry, hey, next time we're going to move on the top floor. Like, <laughs> we're getting a top floor next time. So it lifted both of their spirits. I mean, obviously, they're, yeah. they're trapped, but they're alive. They can talk to each other, you know. Yeah. This is when the hours just drag on. Yeah. Because you got to imagine these... The firefighters and everything have to get together and, you know, Coordinate. get their plan of action. Exactly. Yeah. As... Time went on, the aftershocks were coming, and mm-hmm. they were very strong. Mm-hmm. They're bringing more of the building down on top of them. Mm-hmm. Stephen, at one point, wasn't sure how much pressure he could take yeah. because it's on his shoulders and his head. Yeah. So on the outside, Officer Steen, who had heard the faint men's cries for help, pinpointed them for firefighters, yeah. and they started their rescue with, like, airbags, they used airbags, okay. and chainsaws, everything yeah. like that. Basically, you know, basically, they're using these airbags to lift the entire roof and the upper yeah. floor off of these guys, you right. know, and, and it's encasing them. Yeah. So, the men heard the firefighters from above with chainsaws and yeah. axes at, like, 5.30 in the morning. Yeah. Finally, they reached Jerry... At 9.30 a.m. So he's there for like five hours. Yeah, exactly. And he was rescued first. For Stephen, the rescue crew had to lift up the entire wall that had fallen on his head. So Jerry had no injuries. And Stephen had some internal bleeding. And they had a tube to drain blood from his lung cavity. Oh, Yeah, he had internal bleeding. Uh, The right side of his face was bruised and swollen. He was in intensive care unit, but the doctor mentioned that he had a miraculous recovery uh, for what he had been through. Now, if you rem- remember Officer uh, Stein, right? Okay. Who had rescued the men. Officer Stein and Stephen actually kept in touch during his recovery and they became friends. Well, as you can imagine, yeah. you know, America, Stephen had... A significant amount of medical bills. Yeah. And he really wasn't able to get back on his feet right, right. away. I mean, obviously, you know, it's not like you could pay first and last month's rent or a deposit. Right. You know, you've been in the hospital for four months. You My house any- got destroyed. Why am I paying rent on it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I pay you this much so I can live in something. I don't have something to live in anymore. Exactly. As you can imagine, you know, just like I said, his he was just down and out. His yeah. medical bills were piling up. And Officer Stein offered his home to Stephen. Mm. So he actually moved in to get back on his feet. What an angel, right? 
What a great guy to... What to, a bud. <laughs> what I know. A to, to be able to... Not only did you rescue this guy, but yeah. you become friends with them and you're like, hey, stay with me for a couple. Yeah. You know, Until you get back up on your Yeah, feet. exactly. Now, just to give you an idea of the vastness of what had happened, 16 first floor residents had been killed yeah. in this complex collapse under the weight of the two stories. Yeah. In 1994... This was the costliest U.S. disaster in history. And both Jerry and Stephen are very, very lucky to have survived. It's so great that, you know, he had Officer Stein, who had been, you know, put on his path. Yeah. You know, to be able to help him, too. Yeah. Man, those earthquakes, though, those are so uh, nerve-wracking, you know? <laughs> I think talk about... force of nature brings down levels of building in, a, in less than a minute. <laughs> Right? And because of this, because of this earthquake, it changed a lot of laws with the structure of buildings because these were older buildings. So they talked about retrofitting. Um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with that, but the retrofitting of buildings to make them up to code to be able to take earthquakes like this. In America, we have building codes and things like that. What's the word? Go back and patch uh, issues. Exactly, yeah. exactly. So that we're all safer. I I remember, like, I, I went to Cal Poly Pomona, and there was a lot of talk about, you know, retrofitting buildings for earthquakes. And that's something, as a Californian, you, you hear about uh, in, in terms of, like, yes. long-term building safety. And, and like you mentioned before, they ended up demolishing a bunch of buildings after the fact. And they're like, no, 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 these buildings are not safe, and we can't even retrofit them. And that was kind of a major complaint about the... Uh, the pointy building at Cal Poly, as it's known, its famous pointy building, architectural beauty, disaster for an actual building because it's not up to earthquake standards. And, oh. you know, the four or five years I was there, they were constantly talking about how it couldn't be retrofitted up to code and how the usable space was only like 47 percent you know less than half of the building was actually usable and it wasn't a safe building and they were going to tear it down and it makes me also think back where uh, i think i mentioned this one of the last times um in theatrical history there was this huge fire that that happened during a production i mean everything inside of a theater is flammable oh yeah we did talk about that yeah yeah it's going back to those building codes right and I mean, in California, you know, we have to have those building codes That's to our way save us, you know? Earthquakes are, are, are a regular thing and wildfires. And from, from that, that theater story, that's where they realize that fire escapes need to push out, not pull in. <laughs> the study went into, like, where do you put pillars in front of doors? Do you put pillars in front of doors? How do people force their way out of a common entrance? Do they push and shove? Is there kind of law and order as they exit? And, you know, it, I it don't think so. <laughs> not really. Not really. Like, people, yeah. tend, people, people automatically tend to go back the way they came in. So that's also why they always have, at the beginning of every production, you know, Take an inventory of your emergency exits, which are located here, here, and there, so that you don't just automatically fight your way back to the to the main interest that everybody else is going to do. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Like we talked about before, too. Yeah. yeah when yeah. you're in a situation, you need to... It's mm-hmm. more likely better to actually use the exit that mm-hmm. you didn't come in mm-hmm. so that you can get out faster because everybody's going to that exit that they came in from. Yeah. That's just human nature. We yeah. go back where we came, you right. know? And yeah, that's a, a good thing to think about that is, is um, just 
charging up yeah. that aisle to the exit nobody's going for. Everybody's running this way. You Get know. out. Yeah. Like in a movie theater, everybody's running to those exits behind us yeah. when you got to run in front of you. There's one the right there. Yeah, it's and that exit will way. take you out. Straight out of the building, not yeah. through the lobby, the exactly. hallway. Exactly. You want to be out of that building as soon as possible. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah dragging, dragging my kids and everything. <laughs> This, this has also been a conversation topic I've had with another friend in the past where, like, wherever you are in America, you have some kind of dis- natural disaster that you just live and deal with. Yes. In California, we have earthquakes and, and wildfires. Those are the two big things. In other places, you have hurricanes. You've got tornadoes. Uh, I guess hurricanes are more at sea. This is, tornadoes is the, the one thing I hear about as an American that I'm absolutely terrified of. And I've, to- I've spoken to people who live in that, and for them, it's just like... Uh, you know, just another way of life for them. I, you know, I love watching, you're right, it does terrify me, yeah. but it's just like, I, I'm like in awe, and I love watching those tornado shows when yeah. they run after tornadoes, <laughs> like those, those tornado what, chasers, what is, tornado chasers, yeah. yeah, those are so exciting <laughs> to watch, just because, yeah, they put yeah. themselves in harm's way. For the betterment. To study it, to learn it. Exactly. To, how, how do we adapt to it? How do we shelter ourselves yeah. against it? And, well, to get more of a, an alarm to come out beforehand so we okay. know something's happening. Yeah. Like, they're trying to do that with earthquakes. Yeah, yeah. Which, I think that if you log on and register your phone number or something like that, yeah. sometimes you can get an indication. I think it's up to 30 seconds before yeah. they're Which, saying, but I mean, I guess that's enough time for you to prepare. There's an I've heard of an app-based thing where it's almost like a group collaborative you know, cloud source kind of thing where, like, if you're at ground zero and your phone gets hit, it'll ping to the other phones oh, in that really? network to be like, okay. this person just got hit and, and, you know, and so on. And, and they'll give you seven seconds, 30 seconds, you know, depending on how far out you are, give you that warning. And maybe that's just enough time for you to put down the kitchen knife. Put down the razor blade. Yeah, you know, or get you know, out of the house. Turn off the stove. Get out of the house. Yeah. Get into a, a, a bathtub. I, I keep thinking bathtub for earthquake. I know. I don't you're, th- you're a bathtub person. I don't know. You just go directly for bathtub. I that s- must be your safety place. I, I, I'd probably end up sleeping in a bathtub <laughs> if it were up to me. <laughs> That's your safety place I, like, I, where I, you automatically I, go to. I'm sorry. Growing up terrified of tornadoes, all I heard was get into a bathtub and you'll be fine. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I know. Is it because we're just not used to it? So it's mm-hmm. so interesting to us and like so we've yeah. never experienced anything like that, you know? Yes, uh, I, I agree. I, I think so. I, I, some of the people I've spoken to who live in those tornado areas tell me the exact opposite of like, oh, well, this is what just what you have to do. You, though, your earthquake, uh-uh, no, never. I would never live in California. How do you guys handle a, an earthquake? And this is like, well, I mean, we get used to them. We, we have our buildings retrofitted for them. You know, we do like... A once a year earthquake drill for the big one. Yeah, we do earthquake to... drills at school too, yeah. and I don't think people realize that. I yeah. wonder if they do earthquake or excuse tornado me, tornado drill. drills, uh, like they do earthquake drills yeah. here. 
for the earthquake drills uh, that we used to have when I was a little kid long ago, we used to dive under the chairs. Yeah. We used to hold on to our desk because we were told yeah. it would be sliding around. Yeah. Uh, we would walk out of the building with a book on our head. <laughs> just in case something. Just in case <laughs> stuff is falling and then it would hit the book, wow. I guess. Yeah. instead of So we would take our big book and we would yeah. put it on our head and walk out. Yeah, that's yeah. what we used to do to prepare. I wonder what they do. I wonder, you know, because you do hear these stories of the tornadoes where they kind of get into a communal area, yeah. which is usually the hallway of the school, um, and then kind of just, like, hunger down. But dang, t- really? like, don't they have, like, can't they build a gigantic basement for everybody? <laughs> I don't know. They probably don't want to pay for something like that. I know, right? God forbid we take care of our children. Yeah. I don't know. But no, no, no. Money first. I know. <laughs> so, yeah, but you always hear about them collecting yeah. in, in the inner hallway, you know, yeah. of the school. And then they kind of just hunker down and sit together. But that's, you know, me as a teacher, I'd be very scared of that. Just kind of like, I, you know, I'm in charge of all these kids, right? you know? I imagine a lot of that probably has to do with, I mean, obviously the outer parts of the building are going to get hit first. exactly. But I want to imagine that it's because that there's a structure in place, it's going to disrupt the wind flow of the tornado, so it'll alter it. And, you know, maybe I think that probably has to do with it. I don't think we have a similar thing for earthquakes. We don't, we're not supposed to collect in the center of a of our structure, we're supposed to go to like the hard reinforcement points of the building, you know, door frames and yeah. desks. Well, you're supposed to go under your desk yeah. because obviously, if there's 30 kids crowding into a uh, door frame, that's not yeah. working. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there's like 20 kids out there in the middle of the class. But yeah, you're supposed to go under your desk and then you run outside. Out. Or you're supposed to walk. I say run. That's immediately what I think. But yeah, you're supposed to walk and get outside and, you know, go to the field. Yeah, somewhere clear. Now, did you have earthquake drills when you went to school? You don't sound like you did. I don't really recall having earthquake drills. We had them a lot. Yeah. I think I remember getting under the desk. Um, Well, okay. I do remember drills where we would walk out of the classroom together in a single file line, get to some kind of coordinated uh, pre-planned collection area, and then the, the teacher would, you know, take an, uh, take an inventory, uh, talking like we're product, go down the <laughs> attendance list to make sure everyone is accounted for. I, I guess that was the earthquake drill, and maybe there's a portion of well, it I don't remember. Well, there could be a fire drill, could too. could be a fire drill, too. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I guess you could do both. But, okay. I mean, the earthquake, you're supposed to dive into yeah. a dive underneath the uh, desk. But... Man, I can't believe you really haven't been through, like, the big, big one. Yeah, a yeah. big earthquake. I've been through probably, I remember this 94 one. Yeah. I remember it was me and my mom, and we lived in a condo, and it was on the second floor. Yeah. Here I am again on the second floor during an <laughs> earthquake. And the way that our condo was set up, it was pretty nice. Yeah. Uh, she had one bedroom on one side. Then the living room and kitchen and living area was in the middle. And okay. then I had my bedroom on the other side. So okay, it was pretty yeah. nice. We had our own personal space. Yeah, sandwiched a kitchen. Like it was kind of, you know, the living area, like living room and, and the uh, kitchen and dining area kind of were all in like one lump space, okay. you know. 
and uh, it was opened. I remember the earthquake hit, mm-hmm. and we both ran to our each of our doorways, <laughs> and we could see each, each other other. from across the room. Yeah, you know, so she, I can see her, and then I'm like, I'm running to her. Yeah, so I ran to my mom, and I remember as I was running. The the floor was coming out from my feet. Yeah. So it was such a a violent shaking. That was probably more than I've ever experienced. Yeah. And by the way, we were in Chino Hills. Uh So I don't know if you know, Northridge to Chino Hills. That's pretty significant amount of distance. I okay. don't know, just off the top of my head, maybe 40, 50 miles away. Okay, gotcha. So, so you you weren't anywhere near ground zero, but to no. feel the, the effects still so, so it, strongly. Yeah, exactly. So okay. you can just imagine if it was so violent for us. Yeah. Can you imagine how, how, how bad violent? Was it back there? Yeah, and how bad it was for them, wow. you know, and to have the buildings collapse and then not to be rescued right away. That's. So scary to me to be holding on and holding on and yeah, pinned and it's hours are going by. It's not minutes. It's not even an hour. It is hours and hours are going by, you know, and you begin to wonder like, is somebody going to, am I going to be saved? Yeah. Are you, am I going to make it? Is there enough oxygen? Do I have to eat the cat? (laughs) No, (laughs) no, no, no. Go into that, you go to that cannibalism really easily. I don't know about you. But. I got to do what I got to do to survive, okay? Right? If I, I'm either the dead guy in the earthquake or the guy who survived the earthquake and ate the cat, you know? That's horrible. <laughs> All right, should we end our episode there? <laughs> then we can and try. Andy eating a cat. Uh, <laughs> you don't even have a cat. Oh, I yeah, don't. you're supposed to go to yours, huh? Yeah, do yeah, yours. Yeah, okay, I, you do yours. Okay. Um, what is yours about again? Mine is about a, a, a terrible car collision. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. I can't wait to... Now, have you ever been in a car crash? Um, I have been in some small, uh, low-speed ones. Yeah, I yeah. think I've been in little, like, fender-bender kind of things. Nothing big. Yeah, yeah. And no. I... We're both lucky in that regard. <laughs> yeah. This one, uh, I don't go into too many details because, like, the thing that interested me the most was what happened medically to the survivor. So her name is Molly Wright, and this happened in 2016, uh, January 30th. She was 28 at the time, and she was traveling with her partner, Jeremy Osham, who was 29. So 28 and 29. They were struck by a truck while driving through Kenosha Pass during a snowstorm in the Rocky Mountains. I don't, I don't have a measurement of what speed they were going in, but the fact that there was snow, probably low visibility. Mountains. Mountain pass and yeah, a truck. Yeah, black ice. Yeah. So Jeremy was injured, not too badly. but He Molly, was the passenger or the driver? I think she was, I think Jeremy was the passenger. I'm not certain. I didn't look too far in that. Okay. He wasn't too badly injured, but Molly, on the other hand, was pinned between the dashboard and her and her chair. And it wasn't until someone who was kind of in, a, in the car behind her had seen what had happened and they pulled over. This man's name was Henry Rodriguez. And, you know, like I said, Jeremy was pretty much fine. He had a few scrapes. He got out of the car. Molly, on the other hand, was pinned. And so they, they pull her out and Henry is performing CPR on her for 45 minutes. Oh, my God. So she's... She's like basically gone. dead. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so forty-five minutes. Help shows up, and you know that's pretty much the end of the story. The rest of this is the medical situation. She ended up having a collapsed lung. She had broken ribs. She had a 
traumatic brain injury, which is a pretty big thing nowadays. We're recognizing it's a big thing. But here's the kicker. She also had a severed spine. She was called by the doctors internally decapitated. You know, normally we hear decapitation. We picture like a sword or something or a horror yeah. movie. The head comes completely off. This wasn't happening. Like the skin was intact. and You know, it's this, it's this gross image I have where... Technically, it's still attached, but it, there was nothing holding it up. So it was like headless horseman, you know, falling off the side of her body kind of a uh, thing. Man. Um, she was given a less than 1% survival chance and placed into a coma. She woke up three months later from this coma. No memory of the event whatsoever. And she went through consistent physical therapy to work her way back up. She had to learn how to eat again. She had to learn how to walk. And she had to learn how to talk all over again from scratch. And she was able to finally wheel herself out of the hospital by the summer. So this is just a few months later. She's able to wheel herself out of the hospital after being internally decapitated. So she continues her recovery at home. What an angel and what a helper that that guy was. Right. To arrive Henry on the Rodriguez scene. performed yes. CPR. To be able to perform CPR on Keep her. Keep her breathing. That oxygen kept her flow, alive. Yeah. Most likely. Because if, if she just sat there. Yeah. There's no way that that could have... No, there's probably no flow of oxygen going to the brain, maybe. Yeah, exactly. Crazy. So she was able to pick up her skiing again, which was was, uh, her passion. So she ended up walking again. Absolutely. And I I got a quote uh, with her and her partner here. We do have a saying we like. You can achieve anything you want. You just might have to invent a way to do it. How nice. And then the rest of this... Yeah. The rest of this I have is just a, a listing of um, uh, symptoms of traumatic brain injury, which, you know, if you're yeah. okay. Uh, I'll go over some of them. So a traumatic brain injury is usually the result of a violent jolt, blow to the head, or it could also be the result of some kind of brain tissue penetration, like a bullet or a fragment of your skull pierces into your brain. And so some of the mild symptoms I've broken down between physical, sensory, and mental uh, categories of the physical symptoms, in mild cases, you've got momentary loss of consciousness, you've got disorientation, headache, nausea, fatigue and drowsiness, you have problems with your speech, and you have changes in your sleeping pattern and dizziness. In terms of your senses, how that gets affected, and again, mild cases, you might have blurred vision, ringing in your ears, a bad taste in your mouth, or altered sense of smell and sensitivity to light and sound. And then in terms of mental symptoms, you'll have memory and concentration problems. And then we get into the moderate and severe cases where you'll you'll have loss of consciousness from minutes to hours. You'll be out. You'll have a persistent headache. You'll have repeated nausea and dilation of your pupils. You'll have clear fluid drained from your nose and ears. I'm oh, not, I'm that's not, disgusting. I'm not used to liquid coming out of my ears. Yeah, if something's going. Yeah, <laughs> yeah something's going down. Yeah, you know. I mean, obviously, it's funny because yeah. in our lives we're so desensitized by movies. Yeah. So you always see in these big old what is it box office movies mm. where the person gets like a hit or a blow and they walk and then, it off. Well, there's that. Yeah, <laughs> and then you're like. Or the person uh, is knocked out or knocked unconscious and then wakes up in a bed like somebody had put them there or whatever. And you're like, then they're fine. They don't have have any. Yeah. 
So just like you said, this yeah. is severe. They've been knocked out for hours. Yeah. And they don't wake up nauseated. They wake up perfectly, can use all their muscle coordination. What happened? <laughs> well, you, you just went through a terrible ordeal. Thank God it's over. Yeah, what? <laughs> like, how is that possible? It they all happened in your back. sleep. Yeah, or they get, like, hit with a freaking pipe to the back of the head. Boom. And then they... Ow! Yeah, or they get knocked out for a little bit, and they bounce back, and they're able to be in their adventure. Yeah, you no know? permanent damage. Exactly. Yeah. Right. That's, yeah, I get a little dizzy if I turn around too much, you right. know? I mean, get up too quickly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Never mind this. You might also have the inability to awaken from sleep. Oh, how, that's how, how scary is that? You just don't wake up anymore, and you'll have weakness in your fingers and your toes. You'll have profound confusion, agitation, slurred speech, and you might fall oh, into a coma. That's not just a Monday? No. no. <laughs> <laughs> like, like aggra I, aggravation. I, well, Selena, you might need to see a doctor. <laughs> And then I've also got a couple of symptoms for, for children, you know, in, ca in case anyone who's listening has children, uh, you might want to look for signs like this for, uh, as evidence of traumatic brain injury. But um, your children might have a change in their eating and nursing habits. They might have irritability uh, and inability to be consoled. Which sounds so sad it and terrifying. Does. That you, does you, sound you, you sad. You can't console a child. Yeah. Uh, they'll have a, a change in their ability to pay attention. A change in their sleeping habits. They might have seizures, depression, drowsiness, and a loss of interest in their favorite activities or food. So I am so thankful that we are advancing in technology and science that we now know, yeah. you know, about these football players. Right. You know, that Those if they get knocked in the head left and right, yeah. and that it is bringing up on yeah. depression and changes in their personality. Right. More and more of them are speaking out and, and, yeah. and having to retire for their own personal safety. Exactly, exactly. And then that brings us to, I wonder how football is going to be perceived, or I wonder in the next coming years and decades. Yeah. I mean, do you want your, I don't want my kid in football. I don't want my kid to be knocked around for nothing for free. <laughs> I mean, you know, yeah. they're not, it's not likely that they would get into the NFL. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So you're going to have my kid, you know, because of course they put them in at like six, seven, yeah. eight. I don't little know. Little league. Yeah, I'm not sure. That's little league is baseball. I'm so bad with sports. I'm sorry. <laughs> my, my my lack of sports knowledge is showing. What, what are, is I think it, it's like flag football flag, at first. Okay. Yeah, flag football at first. And then it progresses. I, I don't know at what point it becomes like tackling. Yeah, you know? right. Um, Full but, contact. Yeah, but I mean, I think that makes, it's going to make society think twice mm -hmm. about, you know, having these kids really play full tackle football. Yeah. And man, the brain really works, is so mysterious. Yeah. You know, and I'm not sure if you're familiar with the blood-brain barrier. I've heard of it. Okay, so um, this blood-brain barrier is kind of almost like a sack that your brain is covered in to, you know, okay. protect it and things like that. Okay. But it's sometimes medicine can't go into the brain because of this. It gets and lost and trapped in the the barrier. Yes, it exactly. It, it doesn't okay. really get to the brain. So uh, yeah. sometimes people with, like, brain tumors and things like that. Yeah. They can't necessarily, unfortunately, I know this from personal experience, they have this blood-brain barrier where 
uh, sometimes the medicine that they're trying to take to fight cancer doesn't is, reach. It's not reaching it exactly. Uh, but the brain is so much more complex, yeah. you know, that yeah. than we even give it credit credit for. It. Yeah, <laughs> and it's so crazy when people are in comas. Yeah. For yeah. months and months at a time. Yeah. There's so many. Oh, there's one story in particular I'm thinking of right now. I would love to share it because uh, I'll definitely do an episode. But the idea that, you know, you're gone for like three months, but you're dreaming. Yeah. You know, and you're dreaming crazy off the wall. Yeah. like Lucid stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and then sometimes you're even, well, they always say, what do you, what do you think about that? Because I know you're not religious. But what do you think about those people that see themselves? What do you, like, you like, have, like, like they're, they're out-of-body experience? Yeah, when they're in a coma. Not going to heaven or anything. I'm right. not going that far. Right. I'm just saying when they're above their body and they can see people working on them. Do you think that they're just hearing things and making it up? Or do you I, think that they are actually seeing? Or? Uh, well, okay, this, this is the skeptic in me, I guess. Um, I wouldn't necessarily automatically assume that an out-of-body experience is a religious experience. Yes, um, so, because you are right. Because yeah. our mind is so much more complex than we even know. Right. So it can very well do things that we haven't even discovered yet. Right. Which right. can be exactly those out-of-body experiences, not necessarily religious. You know, this kind of touches on, on this topic that I don't think enough people know about. We are taught of our body senses, you know, like the five senses, a sense of touch, smell, taste, hearing. And I don't remember the fifth one off the top of my head. <laughs> what am I missing? Taste, touch, smell, sight? Yeah. I didn't list sight. We were kind of taught just that we only had five, but that's not true. Uh, we have closer to like maybe 14, but they're a lot harder to like define. And Nail one of them, down or, yeah. Right. And one of the ones that caught my attention that I heard about, it's got a long name. It's called the sense of proprioception. And that is the idea that if you were to cover your eyes and plug your nose and, uh, you know, plug your ears, you would still be able to know where the rest of your body is, assuming it's all in one piece. If you close your eyes and, and, and we're told, touch your left toe with your right hand, you can do it. You're not smelling it. You're not seeing it. You're not hearing it. And you're not like feeling down your leg to find your foot. You just have this automatic... A sense of space. Right, yeah, like a, a networking of where everything is connected. It's, so, like, Well, it's, it's kind of similar in yeah. the sense where you were talking about in one of the episodes where mm. uh, your friend blind or your friend walks through the room in a dark room. and, and Yeah. I, I did that last night. Oh, yeah? In my bedroom where we were talking about that last night, and I remembered, oh, I put my phone mm -hmm. on the dresser, mm -hmm. and I it was pitch black, and I exactly walked to my dresser, I picked I got my phone, I didn't even yeah. like, uh, feel for my, it, feel around for it, I exactly got my phone, and then put it down on the dresser next to me, yeah. to plug it in all of that, pitch black but you get a sense of yeah. where things should be, so I imagine it's the same, that's the same sense is, although, you know I didn't need my hearing, yeah you didn't, I didn't need my sight. You didn't hear the dresser. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I didn't need my hearing, my sight, anything like that. And I, mm -hmm. and it must be the same kind of concept. Category. Yeah, uh, exactly. Because you know where a, your toe a spatial is. Spatial awareness. Yeah, you know where your toe is. Yeah. Like you know where your fingers are. You don't. Just like you said, you could be blindfolded. Yeah. Yeah, everything. You don't need 
That's an interesting one. Right. I'll have to check that out. <laughs> but yeah, the idea that you have 16 senses. Or something like that. I don't remember the exact number, but it's definitely more than five. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you know, I had talked about earlier with the other episode, that sense of uh, something in the pit of your stomach. Yeah. Where it's not quite okay, yeah. right. Is that a sense? I don't know. You know, That's like probably, the, yeah. You know, that something's wrong. Something's not quite right. And I think so many times we don't pay attention to that, right? Yeah. We kind of just throw it to the side like, oh, I'm just nervous. We chalk it up to something else. I feel like that's kind of like a sense of dread. Uh, um, When all of a sudden you hear like there's a silence or something like that. You know, I I, want to say like with with campers or people who, who go outdoors, they tell you that everything is fine when you hear all the birds and the rustling and animal noises it's not fine when things go dead silent that means that there's some type of you know alpha predator creature nearby and every other natural animal in the wilds is knows about it and they're you know they're keeping hush or they've yeah, left exactly, by now so exactly. when when you're outside and it feels dead quiet you're probably next to like a mountain lion or something right now and it's probably potentially stalking you it's probably watching you. Can yeah. you imagine? I don't know if you go out hiking. Do you nope. know? Because no? <laughs> I was just about to say, can you imagine? There's probably, I go hiking, yeah. so there's probably been mountain lions oh, yeah. who have seen me and have maybe watched us for a little bit. Yeah. That's so scary to <laughs> that they're out there watching and you don't know. You it's, know? Like, it's like the boogeyman arm underneath your bed. Thing, oh my you know? God. That's so scary. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. How <laughs> funny. All right, well, we'll end with Boogeyman Arm. <laughs> yeah, that's the name of the episode, Boogeyman Arm. Stop naming the episodes. Now I've got to name it. <laughs> and it's like totally off topic. <laughs> this is why I'm not in charge of things. <laughs> All right. So uh, you could always send your stories to info at theactuallysurvived.com. You could follow us on our Facebook. Instagram. Facebook, like Andy said. Uh, we even have a Twitter also, so you can look up They Actually Survived. You'll find us there. And that's all I got. Yep, yep. Thank you for listening, and don't forget that you too can actually survive. <laughs>